the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. Since we are gathered to hear God's word and to call upon him in prayer and praise and receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ in the fellowship of the altar, let us first consider our unworthiness and confess before God and one another that we have sinned in thought and word and deed, and that we cannot free ourselves from our sinful condition. Together as his people, let us take refuge in the infinite mercy of God our Heavenly Father, seeking his grace for the sake of Christ, and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Almighty God, have mercy upon us, forgive us our sins, and lead us to everlasting life. Amen. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his only Son to die for you, and for his sake forgives you all of your sins. As a called and ordained servant of the word, I therefore forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
O God, from whom all good proceeds, grant to us, your humble servants, your holy inspiration, that we may set our minds on the things that are right and by your merciful guiding accomplish them. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The reading of the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament reading for this, the 17th Sunday after Pentecost from the prophet Ezekiel, the 33rd chapter. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, the 13th chapter. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes, to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, to whom revenue is owed. Respect, to whom respect is owed. Honor, to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall, not, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
we stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 18th chapter. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of those little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man came to save the lost. What do you think? If a man had a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Let him be to you. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Together we confess our holy Christian faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit 
of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy, Christian, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for today from the 18th chapter, from the gospel that you heard read, the 18th chapter of Matthew, verse 14 in particular, in which our Lord Jesus says, It is not the will of my Father that one of these little ones should perish. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. Especially you fathers and mothers, and on this grandparents' day, you grandparents, who with me count all children, and especially our children's children, 
to be among the most precious and dearest things to us upon earth, even as we count our children to be that as well. Make no mistake about it, our Lord Jesus puts a premium, he puts the highest value on the souls of children. Indeed, in our gospel for today, he calls them greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Greatest not because of anything that they've done to earn themselves this superlative title, as though it were being presented to them as some kind of an educational degree that they had earned, or though it were some sort of a promotion that was being given by an employer, or some sort of a certificate or medal or ribbon that was being awarded by a military command. Not at all. Jesus calls the little children greatest because of the unassuming attitude and the dependent posture that they have as they stand in the presence of the Lord. Their greatness is in what they haven't done, not in what they have done. After all, what does St. Matthew say? He says, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then answering in the illustrative mode, our Lord so often uses things about him as illustrations of truths that he's teaching. Our Lord, in that illustrative mode that he uses, he calls himself to himself a child, a paideon in the Greek, a little child, an infant, a toddler, one who can barely stand and walk on his own, an infant, in fact, so small that Jesus proceeds, it says in the Greek, to histesen to stand the child, to place the child, to put the child, because he can't stand in his own strength, to put the child, to stand the child in the midst of the disciples. That's how dependent that little child was upon the Lord Jesus. Can't you see the little child lifted by Jesus from its mother's arms as he takes him and then stands him in the midst of those disciples? Or perhaps just standing there watching the little child waddle over to him, barely able to stand on his own. You want to see greatness in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says? Well, here it is. Here it is, right here. Note well, dear disciples. Note well, dear disciples. Arguing about yourselves over who was greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Note well how this little Pideon... This little infant, this little child, stands where he stands. He stands where he stands because I stood him there. That's why he's there. I called him to myself and I put him there. And is he presumptuous about where he stands and about where he is? Presumptuous about the title that's given him greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Arrogant? Big-headed? Audacious? Is he insolent or rash or proud? Not at all. He doesn't even know what the title means. All the little tyke knows is that he's at where he's at because Jesus picked him up and stood him there. He's got his little eyes focused on Jesus because he knows that's where his standing strength is at and without him he would surely collapse and he would surely fall. Wobbly little legs and all. Perish the thought that one of these unpretentious, one of these unassuming little ones should perish, Jesus says. Indeed, Jesus says, it's not the will of my Father that even one of them should perish. 
Note well the sense of caution that's embedded here in what Jesus is saying. He's saying that they can perish. Contrary to to those who would say otherwise in our day, he's saying that they can perish. Little ones like this, he is saying, are perishable. If they weren't, there'd be no need for our Lord to caution his hearers, saying what he says in the verses right before our text, where he says, whoever scandalizo in the Greek, whoever entraps them, whoever trips them up, whoever trips one of these little ones who believe in me, who believe in me, causing them to fall away. It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened about his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Millstones were not life jackets. Millstones wouldn't buoy you up like a ring boy that would be thrown out to you at sea if someone was drowning. And notice too, he says, at the high seas, This is at the greatest depths of the seas, not the shallow end, but at the greatest depths of the seas, the high seas. Millstones would weigh you down. They'd sink you all the way down to the bottom. And the millstone Jesus referred to wasn't even the ordinary type of millstone that was used for grinding in Palestine back then, a couple of feet perhaps in diameter, that women themselves, as they would turn the, the grain to make meal for the day, They'd be able to turn it themselves with their own strength. That's not what he's speaking of here. Even that, though, the smaller one, two feet in circumference, hang that about someone's neck and toss them into the high seas, and they would go and sink quickly to the bottom. But Jesus isn't even using that Palestinian sort. It's interesting what he uses. He uses the Egyptian sort of millstone. That's what he speaks of here. How do we know? Because St. Matthew attaches an interesting adjective to the word millstone. It's the Greek word onikos, which refers to a donkey. The mulos, the millstone of which Jesus speaks, was of the Egyptian sort, the heavy sort, the sort that weighed hundreds of pounds because it was so large that it had to be turned by a donkey. It was huge. What does this mean for all of us? Cause one of these little ones who believe in me to fall from that relationship to me, which I have graciously established with them through holy baptism, when I placed my name upon them, and it would be better for you to have Amulos Anikos, the the donkey-drawn millstone, placed about your neck and be tossed into the high seas, Jesus said. By false doctrines, by errant and wrong and misleading teachings, by simple neglect, cause one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away in the depths of the high seas would be preferred for you to the lowest depths of hell. You see, it's not the will of my Father that even one of these little ones who believe in me should perish. So don't neglect to nurture the faith in me which I've created within them. I have entrusted their spiritual care to you even as I have their physical care. So don't set before them some smorgasbord of religious ideas and concepts and philosophies with the irresponsible notion that they'll be able to choose what's right for them. You don't do that with your children with a 
natural and the physical food you give them and say, here's the smorgasbord, you choose what you want to eat as though they would know? Why would you do it with the food that nurtures their souls unto eternal life? As Jesus asks on another occasion, suppose one of you fathers is asked by a son for a fish, are you going to give him a snake instead? Or suppose that he would ask you for an egg, are you going to give him a scorpion instead? No responsible parent will play Russian relay with the soul of their daughter or son because no responsible parent will exceed that which God has given him to do. No parental responsibility exceeds that of nurturing the faith which God has created within those children. Nothing that a parent does is more important than that. And so it was that Luther once said, and Luther's typically candid, straightaway fashion, getting right to the heart of the matter without mincing any words. Luther says, nothing can more easily earn hell for a man than the improper training of his own children. And parents can perform no more damaging bit of work than to neglect their offspring and permit them to live as they please. It is indeed, Luther says, highly necessary, therefore, that every married person regard the soul of his child with greater care and concern than even the flesh of his child, which has come from him, and that he consider the child nothing less than a precious, eternal treasure entrusted to his protection by God, so that the devil, the world, and the flesh may not steal and destroy it. And Luther's not only concerned about the content of what children should be taught in the Christian faith, but he even speaks to the issue of how parents should teach the faith and other matters of life to their children in a day and an age when the rod was not spared, lest the child be spoiled. Luther also cautioned temperance and tenderness as parents get down even with their children and speak to them about these critical eternal things. And so he said, children are indeed to be chastened in love, but parents are not to vent their furious temper upon them, unconcerned about the way to correct the error of their children. For when a child's spirit has been totally put down and intimidated, he will be of no use for anything, and he will despair of everything, and is timid in doing and undertaking anything. With the greatest care, a child should be trained to have the right fear, to fear that which God would have him fear, but not to be timid, for this is harmful for later life." Unquote. Respect, you see. That's what Luther's talking about, the right kind of regard for authority, whether it's the authority of parents that God has placed as his lieutenants to care for them and bring them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, the, the right care and the right regard for the government, as we hear St. Paul talk about in the epistle lesson today in Romans chapter 10, the right regard for that of the church, for the authority of the church, which through the pastoral office exercises its God-given authority of warning the sinner, evident in today's Old Testament lesson, and forgiving also the penitent or retaining the sins of the impenitent sinner, as is clearly indicated in today's gospel. Respect for whatever authority has been established by God, be it in the family, the church, or society. Authority, which is always concerned about reaching out and seeking after, in supportive and in nurturing love, 
all of those whom God and his wise providence over our world has subjected to our care. Speaking of reaching out in love and seeking out those chastised lest they despair reminds me of the story of the mother who was laboring so hard in the kitchen preparing a special recipe for supper and her little boy was giving her a hard time running in, running out of the kitchen, ignoring every verbal threat that she gave, ignoring every warning that she gave him. He kept on running through the kitchen and then it happened. Then running defiantly by her at full speed, he knocked that special dish which his mother had labored so painstakingly to make right off the kitchen counter and onto the kitchen floor where it spread itself out in every direction. Mom grabbed the broom. She took out after that little guy with vigor that surprised him to such a degree that he saw no choice but to go and shelter himself under the front porch of the house, which he promptly did. And exasperated with the situation, his mother said, you'd better stay there till your dad comes home because if you come out of there, I'm gonna give you a close-up view of my broom. And the little guy was petrified and he stayed there. Dad came home about an hour later, greeted by a weary and a war-worn wife trying to put something for supper on the table. Honey, she said, your son, your son needs some discipline, good discipline. You better go do something about the boy because I can't. And so off the father went out the front door, got on his hands and knees, crawled under the porch, flashlight in hand, searching for his son. Finally, he found him cowering over in the corner where the broom couldn't reach him. Son, are you okay? The father said, to which came the instant reply, yeah, dad, I'm okay, but is she after you too? <laughs> Parents and grandparents too, seeking out their children, sometimes indeed on their hands and their knees as they approach them to bring them out of their the darkness of their hiding places where sin would have them stay rather than face the light of day and the instruction and the discipline the forgiveness even which always comes to them from the Lord as they're brought up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord you see it's not the will of my father Jesus says that even one of these little ones should perish the will of the father as Saint Paul says is rather that all should be saved and should come to the knowledge of the truth our Heavenly Father wills it. He wills it. And so His only begotten Son does it. The Father wills it. The Son does it. The perfectly obedient Son does it. He seeks out and He saves because the Father wills it. He seeks out and He saves that which was lost, today's Gospel says. And for our sake, His divine will and His holy resolve to save the souls of us put His only begotten Son on His knees. Think about that. The only begotten Son of God, the only perfectly obedient Son of God put on His knees. God on His knees. As He comes to seek us out and to save us on His knees as God the Son, the eternal Son of the everlasting Father because becomes what we are becomes our flesh, becomes our blood and our bones. God humbling himself to become man, literally getting on his knees to seek us out as he crawled into the darkness of our sinful cities, as he crawls into the little dark crevices in which he might find lost sinners, into a cave, 
where he'd be born among cattle and sheep and shepherds, and later into a cave in which was hidden the possessed man out of whom he would cast demons, into the quarries outside of the towns and the cities where only lepers lived, into the crowded lower room of a home where a man is lowered through the roof that he might be healed in body, but only after his soul has been forgiven, into the upper room of a home where a dead young girl responds to his word, Tabatakumi, little girl, I say to thee, rise up, or outside the stench in the darkness of the tomb where he calls out loudly to his friend, Lazarus, come forth, and he does. Here and there throughout the darkened streets where humanity is hidden or hiding others until finally Jesus is literally on his knees as he's whipped and as he's flogged and as he's beaten literally on his knees as he falls beneath the weight of the cross that he carries for you and for me until finally he's lifted up on that cross where he there suffers the ultimate outer darkness of sinners where scripture says there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. On his knees, Jesus on his knees for sinners, taking our punishment unto himself that we might forever know the light of heaven's eternal day rather than cower in the crawl spaces of hell's endless night. You see, it's not the will of my Father, Jesus says, that even one of these little ones should perish. And so parents, grandparents, perish the thought that any of them would. Spend time on your knees, praying that not one of them will. Time on your knees telling them about Christ and why they won't. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their need. We pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, through the good news of Christ's atoning sacrifice for all sin, you have called people out of every nation into the community of those who by grace have faith in his work, the church. Make her strong and healthy through sound and right teaching and fitting practice that she might ever stand to bear to the world the salvation that is in none other than her Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord of the church, raise up for her and keep for her watchmen faithful in carrying out their pastoral duties in every season issuing your warnings against sin, preaching repentance, and proclaiming your forgiveness of it. Raise up and keep faithful hearers, and by your word and sacraments enable them to continue to gather in your name around your word and sacraments. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father of all the baptized, it is your will that no little one should perish and again become lost. To this end, move parents diligently to teach and make known to their children the Holy Scriptures. Bless the children who attend our Sunday school, which begins today its 2008-2009 year of instruction. Open their ears and their hearts that they may know of your love for them in Christ. Sustain all those who teach as well as those who provide support that through the regular hearing and learning of your word, both at church and in their home, these your children may be kept in the true faith throughout all of their days. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Ruler of the nations, raise up for us, we pray, governing authorities who will faithfully avenge wrong and encourage right according to their callings, protecting especially the vulnerable, unborn, and infirm. Let all the governed recognize the authorities as your servants and so give to them the respect and honor due, faithfully contributing to the common good and living in love toward others out of love and honor for and in godly subjection to you, our Lord. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father of tender mercies, grant peace and strength of body and soul to those who are ailing, including Amiko Cox, the mother of J.C. Cox, who remains very ill, Josh Rainville, former member of the congregation who contends with cancer. Regard also those who, by your healing given to them through surgical procedure, are now recovering, including Toad Phillips. Uphold them and their loved ones during these times by your unfailing promises and move your people to encourage one another and to bear one another's burdens as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of all good, with that of Pastor and Barbara Bestel, receive our thanks for the 39 years of marriage with which you've blessed them and by which you've blessed their family. In your gracious favor, continue to be present in their home and to be the source of self-sacrifice and forgiveness and love, their security in every sorrow, and their highest joy in every celebration. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Today, as we honor grandparents, we pray, Father, that you would preserve us from taking for granted the blessings that you've given to us through them. Grant that we would esteem all grandparents with rightful reverence and give hearty thanks for those through whom you yourself have nurtured and loved us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father, you have given your only begotten Son, 
who gave his holy body and blood into death. Today he gives to us that very body and blood for our life and holiness and salvation in your supper. May all who today receive this meal not doubt Christ's actual presence and its forgiving power, but receive it in faith and therefore not to harm but unto its intended good. And together may we celebrate by its reception the oneness in confession that all those who approach your table declare. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For all of these and whatever else you know that we need, Heavenly Father, we pray for the sake of Jesus Christ, your only Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Everlasting God, for the countless blessings you so freely bestow on us in all creation. Above all, we give thanks for your boundless love shown to us when you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into our flesh and laid on him our sin, giving him into death that we might not die eternally. Because he is now risen from the dead and lives and reigns to all eternity, all who believe in him will overcome sin and death and will rise again to new life. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, are you, O Lord, our God, King of all creation, for you have had mercy on us and given your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In your righteous judgment, you condemned the sin of Adam and Eve who ate the forbidden fruit, and you justly barred them and all of their children from the tree of life. Yet in your great mercy, you promised salvation by a second Adam your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and made his cross a life-giving tree for all who trust in him. We give you thanks for the redemption you have prepared for us through Jesus Christ. Grant us your Holy Spirit, that we may faithfully eat and drink of the fruits of his cross and receive the blessings of forgiveness, life, and salvation that come to us in his body and his blood. Hear us as we pray in his name, and as he has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory 
forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink, drink of it, all of you, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always.
We give thanks to you, Almighty God, that you have refreshed us through this salutary gift. And we implore you that of your mercy, you would strengthen us through the same, in faith toward you, and in fervent love toward one another. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Thank you.